Good morning, afternoon, evening, or potential other time frame you may be listening to this. I start this episode with a warning. During this recording, Alice and myself were subjected to an attack from the other side. The men with sticks and rope interrupted our transmission and tried to lure us to the dark side. The reasons for this are unclear. I did once have a near-death experience where I was nearly run over by a car going about 100 miles an hour, so perhaps they view that as the time that I should have left my mortal coil. Perhaps their game plan has changed and they want to take the living too. What follows now is a brief clip of the event. It's gone really loud. Um, carry on recording and I'm going to just unplug the mic a bit. You will be listening to this on your wireless, your wired or your mobile telephone device. If such an attack from these evil Morris dancers occurs, you must immediately switch off your radio, throw your phone into the sea, go live in a barn and stop attending country fairs. Your safety is paramount. Thank you for listening. Your actions are infectious Like a dog scratched ear The pleasure is high Welcome to the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place for those affected by the issues raised in the TV show Being Human. I am Michael Fierce, you know, like the Beyonce album, the one that was a commercial flop and no one heard. You know, that one. Welcome to episode 25 of the Box Tunnel Pod, and we will try not to say the Z word too often. Before that, though, uh, just have a little catch up with Cast Watch. On BBC Three, Russell Tovey stars in the new comedy Juice. It is written by and starring Mawan Rizwan. It also features his brother in the band Rizwan. We didn't get a preview, but I went to the Pilot TV Podcast 250 episode in London a few weeks ago, and uh, the two brothers were guests on the show, and they were talking about this. Yeah, and I'm pleased to report it's really, really impressive. I'm only three episodes in so far. It's really bright, colourful, imaginative. Uh, quite zany, um, a bit off kilter, and it's uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that it's found a place on BBC Three, and they're still pushing shows like this. Uh, Russell is kind of a straight man, in the you know, in the sense that he's the sensible part of the partnership, whereas Jammer, played by Moan, is well, he's insecure, he's attention seeking, and very probably naive and young in his mind i would guess whereas uh, russell who plays guy is a bit older he's got a sensible job he's a counselor and uh, yeah they play off each other really well so that is on bbc free all episodes online now and next up uh this is very timely 
um, in one way, but also not in another, because Alexandra Roach stars in the play Never Have I Ever. Uh, it's written by Deborah Francis White, and it's in Chichester. But by the time this comes out, it will only have one day left, I think, or left or left to show. I think it ends on September 30th. Um, I went to see it just a couple of days ago. It was absolutely brilliant. It's, it's a play set in a restaurant, four friends having dinner that just escalates with a more drink and the, the playing of the game Never Have I Ever. And it plays on racial politics, sexual politics and cunnilingus politics. It's very funny. It's very in-depth and sometimes quite brutal with some of the subjects it touches on. Um, yeah, so I, I saw that a couple of nights ago. And it's kind of ironic that we've got a episode today that we're talking about that involves being on a train. Because, my God, nationalised the railways. I had an absolute nightmare journey down to Portsmouth. I was... I'm, I'm going to moan. I need to get this off my off my chest. Uh, I left my house out on the outskirts of Exeter. 6am. The bus didn't turn up. Walked two and a half miles to the train station. The train from Exeter to Westbury, fine. 55 minute wait at Westbury to get to Portsmouth Harbour. Fine. It is what it is. It turned up. Two carriages, two carriages, ran full anyway, and loads of people piling in, and six people left that couldn't get on, me and five other people. So, I would have had to wait another hour for the next train to Portsmouth Harbour, except that was cancelled, right? So, they then say, right, we'll go get the next train to Salisbury, and we'll organise two taxis for you, one to go to Southampton, one go to Portsmouth, because four people wanted Southampton, two people Portsmouth. I don't care if this is not being human related. I, I'm getting this off my chest. So we get there to Salisbury. Only ordered one taxi. They thought we had eight people and they only ordered one taxi that could only fit four people in. Didn't make sense. So then they were like, well, we're only going to Southampton. Eventually, we decided... Well, we told the taxi drivers, no, get another one to go to Portsmouth. So the four people went in one taxi, me and someone else... Another lady went into a taxi for Portsmouth. She was getting off at Fairham. Except one of the people going to Southampton then decided to leave the Southampton taxi and come with us into the Portsmouth taxi. So after we'd agreed with the driver we were going straight to Portsmouth, which would have just been like an hour there, we generally then drove through awful traffic through to Southampton. It took an hour to get there. And then he said, well, I'm not going any further. You need to get a train from Southampton, which is it's only 20, 25 miles. But on the local train service, it's an hour long. So we could have been in Portsmouth by then, but we weren't. So then we had to get a train to Portsmouth from Southampton. Luckily, one showed up in about five or so minutes. I had a trip booked on the Spinnaker Tower. Couldn't get that because I was over two hours late. I had to get to a match at Fratton Park, my first time seeing Portsmouth in about 23, 24 years. So I literally went to the hotel, ran out again, and went to Fratton Park. Now, I was going to see this play in Chichester. It's usually about a 16-minute train ride from Fratton to Chichester. Now, I had an understanding that there was a rail replacement from Haven't, but I just I knew on that morning, 
as the, all the other stresses were going about, that they'd cancelled the rail replacement. So then I was just like, well, do I go? Do I not? I was ringing around taxis. And then I got that sorted. So I had to get a taxi from Haven to Chichester. It was about 10 miles. And then after the event, after the play, another taxi from Chichester to Haven't, and then train back down to Portsmouth, which is about 10, 15 minutes. And uh, I was very stressed. <laughs> so and I wanted to do a Mitchell, what Mitchell does in this episode, on the train. I wanted to stab some fuckers up. Mostly a Southern Rail, or whatever they're bloody called nowadays, Great Western Railway, Stagecoach. I, I was going to go full box tunnel crazy. And all I wanted to do was get to a couple of events. So nationalise the railways, for God's sake, it's an absolute sham. <laughs> On that note, the play was really good. I can't even remember what I was talking about the play, but it's really good. Alexandra Roach was great, really funny. It's, and it's great that she was speaking in a, a natural accent. Amit Saar, I mean, he's funny in lots of things, but great comedy timing. Greg Wise, uh, Susan Wacoma, like they're all powerhouses of comedy performance in that play but also when it needed to cut deep on certain issues it really did and uh yeah i, I just just got totally distracted oh my god trains so yeah i think i think i'm gonna move on now actually no i'm not gonna move on because i got there the taxi driver just i'd never been to chichester before or i mean if i have years ago but i've never been to the theater area and he it was he just dropped me off in the middle of this massive big fuck-off car park and goes, well, this is the postcode. I don't know where it is. And I'm like, All right, cheers, mate. Thanks, bye. So then I get, you know, I walked around, find, well, find some buildings at the end. Right, that's it. That's where the theatre is. Fine. So there's one theatre one side, one theatre the other side. I go into Chichester Festival Theatre. Blah, blah, blah. Get myself a drink. My first drink in about seven hours, and it had to be a pint after that day. I sit myself down and go, oh, no, I'll go and get a programme. So I go to get a programme with someone. And she brings out a load of programmes for the production of Quiz. And I was like, oh, have you got one for Never Have I Ever? And she went, oh, well, that's not here. And I, my brain just went, what? What do you mean it's not here? She said, it's, it's, it's there over the Minerva. Uh, literally just over the, over the pathway. I was like, oh. <laughs> So I was like, oh, can I take my glass over there? He's like, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. So, uh, yeah, so I even got to the wrong theatre once I got there. It was a successful day. I mean, Pompey won, 2 1. The play was great. But my God. I'm, I'm, I'm going to move on. I'm, I'm, st I'm still processing the trauma. Let's move on to Type 4. The original air date was 6th of February 2011. It was written by Toby Whithouse and Jamie Matheson and directed by the brilliant Philip John. In terms of additional cast, there's not a lot of whole new cast in this episode, apart from the main quartet, of course. Uh, Alexandra Roach as Sasha, Tony Maudsley as Graham and Johnny Owen as Gethin. Joining me once more, and you've got a new, new nickname now, Super Sub, Alice. Off the subs bench. <laughs> Off the subs bench. Honestly, this is a very last minute dot com recording uh, because unfortunately, due to personal reasons, Joe had to pull out last night. And 
I've got to either edit this tonight after recording or tomorrow night to get it out in time for full moon. The the things I do, the things I the put things myself you do through. for this fandom. I <laughs> apologise in advance because my notes aren't going to be as full as they usually well, that's, are. That's it. You just you said you you actually watched this episode about two or three weeks ago without even thinking about taking notes or anything. But you tried to watch it again through ITVX. Yes. But it just didn't work. No, properly. not at all. <laughs> We've. Again, I'm going for a bit of a rewatch with my partner at the minute with Being Human. She suggested it. I didn't. I, I genuinely am going along with the podcast uh, with the rewatch, but because you wanted to watch it again. Um, we've been trying through ITVX and it's such a pain. And I came home from work one day and there was a package and I was like, what's that? She said, it's a DVD player so we can watch Being Human. This was my problem because my new laptop hasn't got a built-in DVD player. I bought, yeah. I bought a plug-in one. It doesn't work very well. So I thought I'll try and stream it and yeah. <laughs> but the problem is I played, oh, I think it was a Series 2 episode we were up to and it uh, was clearly scratched and didn't work. So we had to watch it on ITVX. <laughs> no. and, she, and she was so like, you've got, let's just go to the next episode, the next disc. I was like, no, that's not a rewatch. You've got to you've watch got to it watch in order. Okay, so as uh, there is, well, well, I, I suppose we'll get into whether Sasha is actually a zombie or not in time. Uh, is, as it's a zombie-related episode, and the best things in being human comes in free, uh, I asked for your top three zombie films and TV shows. Um, I don't even know if you're into zombies. I do quite like it. I am quite partial to the zombie sort of media. I have um, the last two times you've asked me for my top three of something I've mentioned in the flesh. So I'm still going to end up following that um, path and saying that in the flesh, it's definitely in my my top sort of picks for zombie things. And it's slightly different to the usual sort of, um, you know, the apocalypse route that people go. And I think it has that more, it follows more of that human side to them. So, yeah, I, I do love In the Flesh. Great show. And um, I'm quite a wimp, really, when it comes to zombie things still, even though I do like to watch them. And I think I was sort of scarred for life as a small child by Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, which isn't one of my answers, by the way. <laughs> but I do like... I I like to, I think to enjoy sort of those things. I think I need to have the lights on and I need to have some knitting to distract me, but I can do some more gory zombie things but these are all I think on the lighter side so my second pick was Shaun of the Dead of course of course yeah um uh that's a weird thing like I'm not particularly into zombies generally I think they're quite say it quietly they're quite rubbish (laughs) I I guess because there's so much of it um it's it's a market that's over saturated really but when I watched Shaun of the Dead I didn't until I read interviews around the time of it before I saw it in the cinema. I didn't realise it was a spoof or something and no. George Romero and all that. I kind of, on Dawn of the Dead, because it, it what that wasn't in my world, no. so I didn't really understand it. So, Yeah, I think for me, it was probably the first live action zombie thing I ever saw, because I think it came out when I was about 10 and I've got older brothers yeah. and they sort of let me watch it. And I think they would have got a bit told off for that because... It did terrify me, but I did absolutely like it. 
full of it as well in the I think it was the the scenes with the pool cues and the you know the soundtrack and all the comedy side to it so it was great so in terms of the Cornetto trilogy here's, here's a controversial question how would you rank them Ooh. this could be another podcast in yeah. itself I think my favourite is still Hot Fuzz and then I've not really okay. seen um, The World's End. I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through or I might have seen it once. So that was probably the Get order. Get off my I know, podcast. I know it's your favourite. You know, do, you know do you know I was thanking you earlier? Yeah. <laughs> I take it back. I will have to sit and watch it properly one day. But anyway, yeah. So Hot Fuzz first, Sean Dead second. Yeah. I so. See, I think they, I go within the order of which they come out, really, because yeah. I think they just get better and better and more complex and more and more character development in each one and more in jokes and self references to yes. what happens later on, and I think they just build on that world even more. So yeah, I, uh, I'm an unashamed fan of The World's End, and I know a lot of people just go, nah, it's all right, but I, I, I love it so much. Oh, I will have to try and watch it again. Anyway, my third pick was Slanta Clarita Diet. Don't know if you've ever seen it. Oh, why didn't that? I it didn't even think of that one. Do you know, I didn't. I I love it. I had to. I went on to Netflix to remind myself of some of the zombie things I've watched because I've said before I have a bad memory for these sort of things. And then I saw it on there and I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, of course. Yeah, with Santa Clarita Diet, it kind of just ended didn't it they cancelled it and yeah it was really a shame i think for because they cancelled it on a bit of a cliffhanger but uh yeah it's worth a watch i mean i i love that i mean drew barrymore is, is just yeah. someone who just goes around eating people it's just it's comedy gold and timothy oliphant's brilliant in it as well yeah oh, i've totally forgotten about that one yeah all right, we will begin with uh, Type 4, which is Series 3, Episode 3. Um, you say you watched it two or three weeks ago. So did it live up to what your memory was of it? Or is it something you held in high esteem? I think it was sort of, as I remembered it, there's like the bits of this episode that I love and bits that I sort of not don't like so much so it sort of sat where i remembered it and where i thought it was yeah yeah i think this is generally viewed as quite one of the fan favorites really because maybe there's such a comedic edge to the whole zombie thing yeah i think sasha's just great as a character and speaking of sasha uh she is the one being taken into a hospital and her bits are exposed not in a good way um and it's quite gruesome because you know the guy's about to basically chop her into bits before she suddenly wakes up with i'm not going to do any welsh accent tonight i promise you no welsh accent but she shouts what the bloody hell do you think you're doing and grabs him by the arm yeah so at honolulu heights george's p or almost p is interrupted by mitchell who looks a bit tentative and edgy and he goes oh i can't go now so they have a little meeting downstairs in the living room and Mitchell says, I think Annie might fancy me. And George obviously knows you rescued her from hell. That tends to turn a girl's head. And I love how consistently in the show calling someone 12 is an insult. He calls him like playground, doesn't he? No one says fancy anymore. 
And he says, oh, well, we are 12. No, she hasn't told me she fancies you. Her body language is deafening. Yeah, uh, this see, this episode has a lot of awkward silences between Annie and Mitchell. And maybe, probably a bit too forced. I feel it's a bit too much overplayed, maybe. Yeah, probably. It's heading that way. Uh, speaking of Annie, she is off on one of her walks and we know these never end well. She sees a woman yelling abuse at a bouncer and then she turns attention to Annie. Why don't you take a picture, you nosy bitch? And Annie runs away. Sasha follows. And it's kind of explained later why she didn't run away. Uh, Annie says later because she is panicking. But also it's it's a device to get Sasha yeah. to the house. <laughs> There's a lot of little moments like this that happen so quickly. You go, well... Yeah, like, that's that's a really quick link to just to get to somewhere else in the story, which I don't really think being human has a lot of generally, but I hear this episode kind of does, two or three moments. Yeah, there's a couple of bits later on that I thought it's kind of a, a little plot hole. But... Yeah, kind of when uh, Mitchell quickly finds the address of Sasha and almost, almost yeah. also just like breaking into the hospital. like Finding the... Um... You know, it's... The, like the record of what's been going on and also I think yeah. there's a thing where I just wondered where Sasha got all her clothes from later in the episode but anyway <laughs> yeah and also like when they do break into the mortuary later like Annie just points the torch and goes what's yeah. that up there and it's everything exactly. they need in that little bag <laughs> I, I, I grant you I understand like watching someone's look around room for 10 minutes is not good tv George is teasing Mitchell still. So are you going to ask her out? And he says, I don't know. How would it even work? And Mitchell does kind of a weird George-like gesture about sex. Um, Yeah. So like Mitchell has said in the past, like when there was that accidental kiss, there was a tingle. He felt a tingle on his lips. But George seems quite relaxed about the potential of them going out. George seems very for Which, it, and I think it's almost like yeah. he's sort of sees it like it's, it's him and Nina, and it's quite it'd be quite convenient for him if Mitchell and Annie paired off. So he's he's almost pushes it maybe. Yeah, and I I mean we know, you know, humans can't technically hurt Annie because she's invisible. She you know they walk through her, but also George does know that. Mitchell is a dangerous person, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sitting here going like you know. George thinks that Mitchell could physically harm Annie or would want to, but we go back to the whole thing. Like he does know that Mitchell tore a load of people up on a train. He's just not admitting it. So for George, maybe it's again. It's just that constant need in the show for that that normality, isn't it? Yeah. Like it. It'd be like, oh, I'm going out with Nina. Mitchell's going out of Annie. It's all perfectly normal. We're two couples and... that share a house. Well, which is yeah. not normal. <laughs> and yeah, I I mean, I get it. They're good friends and he wants them to be happy. But part of me is thinking George is quite relaxed about it. Yeah. Uh, Annie finally does rent a ghost into the house. And she says, guys, I'm in trouble. There's a dead woman after me. Mitchell asks the only sane questions. Question: Why didn't you rent a ghost home? And George is bemused by it all. I just got up for a pee. Uh, they look outside, and he says, "That's not a ghost. I can smell her, even without the wolfing." 
a disgusted George says. Annie, well, of course you can smell her. She's got a body. I'm sure I mentioned it. That's why I was so scared. It's, if she was just a dead dead, no problem. But that is just weird. And it quietened downs a little, um, lulling Mitchell into a false sense of security. He opens the door slowly and Sasha's face appears. George goes to the window and gets another shock and jumps. She's there as well. Oh, no, of course she is. <laughs> and I love Mitchell's outrage at the car slowing down outside. Uh, I mean, the way like Annie's also I mean, banging yeah. her head against the wall going, of course they could see her. I know, and he's like, I, I really wanted to do try and do his accent with them, which is not a good idea. But yeah, and he said, I think they can see her, and he's just panicking <laughs> about the like. We've got to let her in because what if it draws attention to the house? Yeah, and I just love how this scene escalates. It's just got it's just gone from this scene about like, oh, you fancy her, to this absolutely weird conversation about a dead body stalking them outside the house it's so funny and there's definitely like some proper horror things where it is a bit of a jump scare over at the door and at the window yeah and and Mitchell says we've got to let her in we've got a shouting piss corpse on the doorstep um this I mean we mentioned Shaun of the Dead earlier I don't know whether this is kind of a little nod because it reminds me a bit of the scene where they're in the corridor and they've just been infiltrated by one zombie and they want to get out to the car. And and uh, Tim is... Tim? That's spaced, Michael. That's not... Sean. The clue's in the title. Sean, Sean looks out through the letterbox and they're, like, discussing what it is and what to do. And even, like, when Nina sense, mentions later, don't call it a zombie, uh, yeah. Sean goes, don't call it a zombie. It's little similarities there. But I guess these are things that kind of probably... Also, there is that... Um, shot later on which I'm sure we'll get to at Gavin's house which is almost identical to a shot fairly early on in Shaun of yeah. the Dead yeah yeah absolutely so I don't know if there, there's little nods there or the, I'm, I'm not well versed enough in the, like the George Romero stuff or a lot of zombie stuff to know how common that is that particular kind of thing uh, the shouting wakes way for tears and Annie cautiously pops her head outside would you like some tea and soon awoken by the stench of Sasha, say that when you're drunk, and makes way to the living room with the decomposing body asking for Stainaz. Uh She looks sideways. George, he gives her uh, basically the headlines. Dead woman with a body followed Annie home. And Nina just shrugs. Of course. I think it's... Uh, when she's flirting, Annie's very quite polite to her, but every time she flirts with Mitchell or like mentions how hot he is, she she gets so passive aggressive and angry. I don't understand why, because look at her. I don't think Mitchell's going to be interested. <laughs> it's a threat. No. Yeah, there's no threat at all. Again, it's sort of like the... And- pushing them together isn't it a bit earlier so they're just making Ali Annie more um envious yeah she says hi Mitchell I'm Sasha like the Beyonce album I was trying to think of dead the stroke zombie puns to go with Beyonce song titles and 
I was going through Spotify thinking, hmm, I can't really think of any. But the only one I could come up with, and this is so shit, or the Shingle Ladies. And then I thought, it doesn't really make sense because you can't really die with shingles. That's so bad. I can't <laughs> think. I can't. I can't think of any either off the top of my head. It, maybe that could be a poll. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, the shingle ladies. But you can apparently you can die of shingles in very very rare circumstances. You'll have to see okay. if anyone else can think of any. She confesses that she was in a car accident and the housemates are just holding their noses. And I swear in this scene, like some of them are uh, genuinely in real life stifling some laughs because they all, all look like they're, snigger- they're sniggering. It is that uh, George and Nina, especially in these scenes, just the, the faces of the disgust to the smell, it is brilliant. <laughs> And bring on a being human tradition, the kitchen meeting. And he says it explains one mystery anyway, the mortuary being off limits. No, George responds, that was a chemical leak. Or they were hiding a zombie. And Nina doesn't like the Z word. Dead body, moving about. Do you think she'll continue rotting until, you know, she's soupy? (laughs) Uh, Mitchell thinks she needs to be returned to hospital and Nina chips in. I hate to say it, but I agree. And I love the moment because both George and Mitchell yeah. just stare at her because they just can't believe what's just happened. Uh, Sasha is in the living room apologising to Annie and tells her she's planning to go home to her boyfriend, Geffen. She then picks up a toenail and flips it to one side. That's probably one of the most gruesome bits in the, in the episode. It's so I grim. <laughs> I once went out with a girl who had... On both her big toes, no toenails on both her big toes. So that reminds me of that every time. But maybe she was just maybe 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 she was just sat in the living room watching telly and just flick them off and flick them around the living room. I don't know. Uh, At the first sign of Sasha trying to move in on Mitchell, Annie tells her she has to go. And George says, "Great, well that's sorted. I'll leave it all in your capable hands." Uh, and again, this is like uh, one of those moments of awkwardness between Annie and Mitchell where they're kind of can't really speak to each other, even even in this heightened situation where there's something to talk about. They're, they're quite strange around each other. It's become awkward all of a sudden between them. Also, in that kitchen scene, I have to mention Chavalanche. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of Annie's brilliant know. words <laughs> she invents. Um, yeah, so Mitchell clocks the tag from the hospital, and he notices the date and time of Sasha's death on the tag. And we we'll get into that in a bit more detail later. Uh, George finally gets to have his pee, <laughs> but a new situation crops up, and. This is unusually, I think, quite slack for Nina. But leaving, as she said, she had three pregnancy tests, but leaving one in the bathroom. Yeah. Bit. I feel like it's almost on purpose. Yeah. Because, like you say, it's not like Nina. Surely, if you wanted to hide it, you would have done a better job than not left it in an open bin in the joint shared bathroom. Yeah. So it's almost like, because she said she was planning to tell him, 
Yeah, but this is this is the thing. Like George gets really weird here because, firstly, he's assuming what Nina's going to do anyway. He's assuming that she's not going to tell him that she's going to get rid of the baby without telling him. When she's literally just said, "I was planning to tell you," and then he just gets this ownership of her body to an extent. You know, like that's yes. part of me, and he's just being a dick. <laughs> he could have handled it better, definitely. Yeah, it's it's when she expresses doubts about the pregnancy, and uh, George isn't reading the room at all. He just gets on his high horse. As punishment, he gets kicked out, and he has to sleep in Annie's room. I think deservedly so for those scenes. Like, and he immediately thinks it might be about the wolf. Like you say, and he doesn't think there's anything else going on. And I also think, like, I remember kind of the first impression I got with this scene years ago. George is completely forgetting that, like, you know, there's more to having a baby than being pregnant for nine months. There's the, you know, psychological element to it and we know that Nina has been abused in the past for George to just completely forget that in the situation is quite a strange thing for him to do yeah I think as well maybe it's like we know from series two that it was part of his original plan wasn't it to have family and we see him with baby Rufus slash baby Tim Mm. and even just reading up on the now I've read the books and there's that storyline whether that you think consider them canon or not, where George is sort of quite happy to be a sperm donor yeah. and wants to, you know, it's it's there that he wants children, so you can sort of see that point, but he doesn't handle it well at all. Yeah, so we'll concentrate just on that storyline just for a bit because there is a scene later in the episode where George does apologise to Nina in the bedroom. He says, I'm sorry. I really wish we were having a normal argument about the pros and cons of unwanted pregnancy. But we are not normal. And we get to see the culmination of those hints about Nina's past abuse. And she sobs and she reveals that her mum used to hit her. This thing inside me, whatever it is, it's a baby and I will become a mother. And that terrifies me more than ever with bullshit. And George says, you are strong. You're beautiful. I will be there for you. And she says, sorry, but it's not enough. Again, it's like Nina's the one that always has the much more human problems and this, for her, is about a completely human thing and it's something in the past before anything else of this happened or any of the supernatural stuff. Yeah, and she's still not long dealing with being a werewolf herself, you know? So she's she's taken all that in as well. Okay, so Annie and Mitchell storm the hospital mortuary to find... With incredible ease, uh, the paperwork and a video camera. They notice four people came back to life all at the same time. Uh, meanwhile, Annie is watching a video of the test as organs get removed and the screams reverberate around the room. This is quite traumatic for Annie and she rent goes back to the house and pulls a blanket over a sleeping Sasha. Oh, this whole... I like the concept of it, its basic principle of when Mitchell went into purgatory because he he jammed the door, essentially, for people who died at that time. Whether it's whether it was just for that few seconds that he's walking in, 
or whether it's for that entire few hours that he was in purgatory. What do you feel about that element of the story where they're saying going into Death's Door uninvited causes problems? I think it's one of those things that I kind of accept. When you think about it more, it's a bit like, well, why didn't they just hang around as ghosts or, you know, and pass over later? Why would they like, yeah, push back into their bodies? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or like, you know, there's a queue for the door. It will be here, but you've got some time as a ghost for, you know, a day or two. But yeah, I think it's one of those things that I'm kind of happy to accept as, yeah, of course, that's what happens if you go through death's door and you've got a body and you're not a ghost yourself and it can block it up and everything. And um, it's almost like they they sort of wanted to do this zombie storyline, so kind of let it slide for that and I think it's quite nice actually with this um Sasha storyline that there was a bit of build up to yes. it from I think you you saw it on like there's a brief clip on the news I think in episode 1 where you see like the um the rugby player's wife died in a car crash up so you know words to that effect mm. on the screen and then there's the whole thing about the mortuary being closed and you see that happened at the end of episode two yeah yeah I, I agree with you on the basic principle yeah like it's a good idea but also does this reflect locally or worldwide or you know because he said basically four people died at that exact time that mitchell was in purgatory but that four's not many for you know yeah, I think it's just like um, Barry, isn't it? Or just people that died in that hospital yeah, around that so. time. And also, because Mitchell is technically dead, when Annie goes into purgatory uninvited, as she does, does that also affect their store for other people? I don't know, because would, would then like an exorcism affect it? But also... Surely pulling Kemp through yeah. would have caused yeah, something yeah. like that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be never-ending in terms of being human. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so outside the hospital, a place where strange men like to stalk Mitchell. He is alerted by a voice from the shadows. Funny, somehow I thought you'd be taller. Close up like. Graham is a fellow brother of the blood, a vampire. He tells Mitchell that he's a bit of a fanboy. Graham is on a little vampire tour and Mitchell is the star attraction. When he mentions what he did in Bristol, fear strikes Mitchell's eyes, but it's momentarily a false alarm. you got vampires to pronounce blood. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's quite funny, like, in the last episode, uh, Graham... Um, who is the guy? Richard. Thank you. Richard. Richard was basically saying... That Mitchell was role playing as Russell Brand. Let's not talk about Russell Brand in this time. Oh, but God, yeah. now Mitchell's confronted by someone who's like Russell, you know, role playing Mitchell. So he's sub, sub, sub Russell Brand. And I like, I just love the look, the way he's got the curly hair, greasy, the eyeliner, and the jacket. He's done a good job at copying Mitchell. I, 
I don't. I'll be honest. I'm not mad about Graham Ooh, as a character. I find well, I find it really cringe, and I think it it's yeah. meant to be. And also, I think we'd probably we're meant to dislike him, but it just sort of yeah. There's not many characters that I I feel like that with, but I think maybe Graham and probably. To an extent, Crumb it has a similar. Oh, I've feel never really compared them to. In some before. ways, um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess Crumb kind of comes back to Hal a lot when he, Hal doesn't want it. So there's, yeah, I I do like Graham. Um, I there is something I don't like about storyline later on, but I do like how it opens up. The fact that Mitchell's secret isn't as secret as he thinks it is, and it it builds yeah. on the whole box tunnel paranoia that he's got. No, I was just gonna say, I think it's some of the comedy is like more cringy comedy that <laughs> he is. Me as well. I mean, he's he's creepy. He is so creepy, but he play it's played well. It's played, you know. I think that it's he's meant to yes. get under your skin a little. It is, and also he like does. Annie, constant terrible judge of men she invites him into that house twice oh god why <laughs> why does she invite him twice in? <laughs> because she knows at this point that random vampires are bad and it's probably not a good mm. idea to invite them in even if they say that they're mitchell's <laughs> friends i can't yeah i mean i just can't understand how that that standing at your doorway and she goes yeah right then come on all right, so Sasha wakes up, and I think I've looked as bad as that from Hangovers before. And Annie comes out with it and admits that she's a ghost, George is a werewolf, and Mitchell is a vampire. Fuck off, comes a response from Sasha. Uh, the stench alerts everyone that she's still in the house, and they take over Mitchell's room for answers. Annie suggests she goes to the spare room. Oh, what? So we're a supernatural hostel now, are we? What next? A mummy? quips at Nina and I love George's uh, the fact that he's, his nose is covered by his shirt and he just points <laughs> just, yeah. it's all, all those little like subtle comedy moments I love I feel like they needed to have more meetings like that in um, Mitchell's room because it is brilliant and he's just like laying there nothing sort of this sheet halfway up and like yeah, <laughs> yeah everybody coming in uh, Mitchell explains that they owe her. The four people passed over at the exact same time Mitchell went to purgatory to get Annie back. As Nina puts it, Death's door was engaged. Uh, Sasha does a runner because you can overhear everything. And Mitchell Everquick, in his tracks, finds the address at the hospital and Annie soon appears at her garden with Sasha. Um, but yeah, we'll concentrate on Mitchell and Graham because I know Graham's your favourite. <laughs> Graham appears at, in his scrubs at the hospital um, there's an undercurrent to him I think that is unsettling as we've talked about but I also think Graham is a lot cleverer than he looks and he clearly has some connections yes. in the vampire world because obviously he's mentioned Clara Cara for fuck's sake Michael um, it's not long before the fanboy is infiltrating the house as Mitchell hears his voice from the living room Annie has invited him in and we get that uneasy undercurrent again. Uh, he's making up stories that aren't real, getting in the words train, bloody train into sentences. And Mitchell gives him an aggressive tour of their cellar and pins him against the wall. Graham says, that girl holds a torch to you and I'm thinking she doesn't know, does she? 
about his greatest work, about all those people they ripped you ripped apart on that box on that train, the box tunnel twenty, and I think she needs to hear it. A great line here, or maybe we could sit down, watch a bit of Wipeout, and have a biscuit. No, I was going to say it's such a weird way of trying to win somebody's friendship, like to keep blackmailing them. Yeah, but is is the fanboy thing exaggerated? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's an element of him that looks up to Mitchell because he, you know, he wants to be a copycat, but it's not, it's not complimentary, is it? The way that you know. There's one thing, like yeah. if you're into a celebrity and you meet them and get this, get a selfie or something signed and go, thanks, I love your work, thanks, bye. This is, I think he views Mitchell as, maybe it's the fact that because Mitchell backs off from kill it, killing as often as he does and Graham doesn't like that, so maybe Graham's being aggressive about that because he knows what Mitchell's capable of and that's why Graham wants to emulate him yeah yeah and go further yeah because he says i mean he says later you know that he killed his his own family so you know i don't think that's something that mitchell would outwardly do but yeah i googled wipeout and i at first i thought they were talking about total wipeout you know the the i don't think it is i always thought it was that, that would explain it at the time because it was on around that time, but I think that was called Total Wipeout. Unless, but there is a quiz show. It finished in about two thousand and three, hosted by Phil Daniels, called Wipeout. But I, it's got, it's got to be Total. No, wipeout. Like you, I'd, I'd always assumed it was Total Wipeout because I think it was yeah. airing at that sort it's of got time. To be total and... Wipeout because that yeah. reference-wise, the other one wouldn't make sense. Uh, Mitchell backs down and Graham makes his leave with an attempt at a bonding handshake. I'd prefer that kind of awkward handshake where you don't really touch hands because I hate shaking people's hands. Absolutely hate it. If someone's yeah. like, they, there's two things about shaking people's hands. One, sometimes, especially men, are really full on with it, like like a power play. They really want to grab your hand and look you in the eye. And also sweaty hands I hate it when people have sweaty hands it's just like it's one thing I wish we'd kept that from <laughs> yeah. COVID like the not shaking hands it's, like, yeah, it's just always awkward you know, we have people visiting work and oh, it, when they say hello and then when they leave it's oh no I don't want to shake your hand it's horrible I immediately get the uh, anti back <laughs> out and go right thanks bye Sorry. Later in the episode, Graham invades the personal space again and Annie has let him in once again uninvited and is now giving her a shoulder massage. <laughs> it's such an awkward shot where it's sort of like pretending it's Mitchell and then it just zooms out. <laughs> just, oh. I mean, Annie, come on. Um, yeah, so Mitchell sees this and he sees red and they become embroiled in a session of the neck grab game. Mitchell takes him outside, and the angrier Mitchell gets, the more Irish he gets. Um, and they're hardly being discreet when they're shouting outside. He says, you are a, just a fat, pathetic wannabe with no friends or personality of your own. You are nothing. 
Yeah, so at the hospital, George chances upon Mitch and says, your friend Graham, he's been asking for you, seems in a weird mood, said something about making you proud. And Mitchell breaks into Graham's locker to find a shrine notepad, and we'll have much more of that later in the series, dedicated to Box Tunnel 20, all Mark's clippings of new newspapers. And there's also a train timetable with a very conveniently, this is another convenient thing, placed marker of the train that he's going to be on it's a good job this was then and not now because it would probably probably <laughs> yeah. would have been cancelled believe me i've already had i've already had my train around this episode so I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah I actually i'm gonna have another train rant about this episode um because i know barry quite well um the place not the person i don't know anyone called barry uh the direction they're going at is literally probably about two minutes away from the station, which is the last stop. Now, by the time Mitchell gets on the train and has that conversation and blah, 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 and I know Mitchell kind of does delay him because he stands up and goes to do something and Mitchell stops him. But by the time any of that attack would have happened, they'd have been just parked up at, at Barry Island Station at the last stop of the line. And I know... To quote Pete Show, must I live so relentlessly in the real world? Yes. Yes, I must. He could have so found he, he yeah, could have found a national a train. And also he's he's doing it in broad daylight. Which is another you... Yeah. But he's dressed up for the occasion, so you have to give him that. Uh Mitchell tries to talk him down and he's yes where he says, I killed my own ch children, drained their throats, bled them dry. Nothing's seemed real since then. I want to be the new legend that vampires whisper about in the night. You do feel a little bit sorry for him in in this scene, like yeah, it's, it's quite I suppose sad. That's the only moment because when Which he says nothing's felt the same since, you can kind of see a bit of sadness there. So Mitchell drags him yeah. subtly into the vestibule. I love the word vestibule. I'm just saying it. I think vestibule means the whole carriage, but I thought it just meant the bit between the carriages. But it doesn't matter. I'm saying vestibule. Yeah. And Graham continues. It's uh, a great word. Yeah, that even if it's not today, what I'm going to do will make your little massacre look like a fucking paper cut. So, yeah, again, I think this goes back to the... It There's an element of him, I think, that looks down on Mitchell because, because Mitchell wants to live a good life. And that's not what Graham's interested in. He wants more, doesn't he? And Mitchell says, how, uh, very Irish again, yeah. how messed up are we? No, I'm not doing it. As vampires, that my story can be seen as inspirational. It has to end. The story has to die. And I find that line quite foreboding, almost like it's, it's a Mitchell referencing himself. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think. I don't think I've ever picked up on that, but you're right. Around the middle of the season, Mitchell's starting to run out of road, and I think he knows subconsciously that something has to break, doesn't it? Uh, what I don't like about this scene, though, is the fact that he's staking him yards away from passages in broad daylight, following an altercation in the carriage. And having a loud conversation. 
yeah. yells to like the yeah. whole carriage as well, doesn't he? Like emergency yeah. ticket so, inspector. And, and literally, like they're just so they've definitely the door seen and them. that conversation, and then yeah, it. I think this is the bit of the Graham storyline I'm not on board with because I think, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of characters that are in just one episode and either they move on or they die or whatever, but I get the train thing, but it's that whole broad daylight around loads of people and he just stakes him. I I find that strange. Yeah, and then they sort of, he gets a bit of like you know it's a long shot of him as he turns to ash and it's sort of more of like the stake in that a character maybe not quite as much yeah. as lauren got in series one but it, you know he's given a bit more than he kind of deserves yeah i suppose you're right because like around his death we don't care about graham do we so yeah that is quite uh i suppose no <laughs> The, the the way it leads is they want you to care that he's dead and we don't. <laughs> yeah. But the... Yeah, sorry, Graham. Um, the thing I don't like... Or the, there's another thing I don't like about the scene. I think this is the low point of the episode, this little scene uh, of Graham dying, is I really do not like that effect when vampires die that they brought into series three. Just, just do a bit... No. Yeah, just just do the and they kind of go green. The, what they did with the Lauren scene, just do a bit of smoke. Or, um, yeah, do we have any more to say about Graham's rubbish death? I don't think so. <laughs> All right, we'll concentrate on Sasha now, uh, the main through line of the episode. Annie finds her at home in a garden, and they enter a well-guarded hallway. And I love the little moment of Annie awkwardly going between those two dog statues my taste and geffen's money uh yes geffen in his living room and is confronted by sasha who is fierce naturally he's surprised by this i thought they lost your body consider it found and in his panic he she stabs here sorry and he stabs her through the stomach with a trophy which annie helpfully removes you know, if we're talking about special effects, yes, the Graham's the Graham scene did not look very good at all. No, and yet that that looks so That's, good. That, that was the... what I was going to say. Like, I think what being human does well, and what it's always done well, is the practical effects and the things yeah. on the smaller budget. When they rely on the CGI, it never looks as good. But yeah, this um, was the, the shot that I was thinking about. That it. Um, it's like when they push that girl over in the garden in Shaun of the Dead. You have the yeah. same shot of the hole through the stomach and somebody peering through. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a brilliant scene. Um, and Sasha faces the truth, really. Like the dead stay Sasha pretty faces... in our memories. <laughs> you don't think of them like me. You never picture them rotting. But I can feel it happening inside me like heat, like a compost heap. And I know what happens when things rot. They don't last. What I like about this use of a zombie and being human is it's just a very being human way of doing a zombie, isn't it? They're not after blood. They're not trying to stalk you and kill you. It's basically someone who is a kind-hearted person who's died and is it's just that's that's the uh... like that's the horror of it, isn't it? That like she can feel it and. 
earlier in the um when they were watching the videos of the hospital and he sort of says does it say anything about anesthetic or one of them asks that and they said yeah it says that it didn't work yeah and yeah you like the whole it's the whole horror of that sasha knows what's happening happening to her and she can feel it happening yeah and they they burnt the others alive basically yeah, Sasha's a zombie that's hindered by her own condition. It's slowing her down. But, you know, she has feelings, she has empathy, she yeah. has humanity. And that's, despite all the comedy around her, you know, that that's that's being human as a show, isn't it? The empathy and the humanity and yeah. also the surreal silliness. And that's Sasha. In that all show. of this happening. And then you've got, like, the ex sort of fiancé playing on a Nintendo Wii. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Annie's maternal mode kicks in and she starts organising a girly night out and what could possibly go wrong a ghost, a werewolf and a zombie on a night out uh, she starts doling Sasha up with and uh, is it cement mix? I think I'm it's, sure it's um, is it like wood filler or something? something like that yeah where she sprays Sasha with the perfume though and she lifts her arms up it's pretty woman playing as well throughout yes, it. Yes, pretty yes. woman. Uh, the big reveal leaves Mitchell and George almost speechless, but they let out half-hearted wows. And Sasha is really ready. Let's go and shake our money maker. Uh, Nina isn't de- isn't designated driver. She's designated woman with a pulse. And George asks quietly if she's come to terms with what she is yet. And then Sasha shouts, "Say it loud! Say it proud! I'm dead, and I'm proud." <laughs> And then she goes on to say, come on, ladies, these fellas aren't going to shag themselves. And as soon as they leave the house, the boys decide to get pissed. And uh, it's the most fucking depressing. Like, I don't mind a bit of Radiohead, but Radiohead and, and alcohol do not mix. Who would have thought of that idea? But I guess it sums up their both their moods, though, doesn't it? They are yeah, true. in their heads. They want to go, well, let's let's get drunk and talk shit. And But Mitchell's got. Graham and the box tunnel looming yeah. over him. George has got his shit with Nina going on, so they just fuck, decide to drink beer and eat crisps instead. Not a bad night in. <laughs> uh, Sasha is getting jiggy on the dance floor to attract a male, and let's just say it's not giving off Beyonce vibes. Back in the house, got George covered in crisps, his top covered in crisps. They have a conversation about Annie because uh, Mitchell is getting very worried about them not being back. Uh, the night out, though, is turning into a literal horror show. A guy snogs Sasha just for a bet, but in a genuinely gruesome scene, her body starts falling apart in the club, and we hear all the crunching and cracking Ooh, and the, the shrieking. Yeah, yeah, and the squelching as she she falls to her feet. The soundtrack uh, for these scenes is brilliant as well. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, hot, hot chip ready hot for the chip, floor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they get her home in time. I... Can't imagine that journey would have been pretty that much fun, really, because it it would have just looked like Nina carrying Sasha home because Annie can't be seen. Yeah. Uh, the next morning, the housemates are gathered around her bed, but Annie is still in denial, wanting to get a wheelchair and take her to the Millennium Stadium and to the Bay. This is what Annie does a lot. She closes things off. She does. She's done it a lot in history so far. 
she does it later in this episode and and she just she's not facing reality so she's just choosing to block block it out uh later annie and nina are bedside and for sasha begs don't let them take me away don't let them burn me promise me you'll bury bury me we never actually see this come to fruition what did they do to her body when she went no this that that guest bed has such bad sort of reputation for people surviving in it and i don't (laughs) think we ever find out what happens to the bodies it is a supernatural hostel it really is uh yeah geffen mentioned the body disappeared so presumably you know they didn't bury her they didn't have a funeral so i suppose when you mentioned that before though it was about her that that was what the hospital told them that she'd vanished yes yeah, true. When she was obviously walking around. Uh, later in the night, a fading Sasha speaks to Annie again. I wish I'd done more, you know, of everything, even the stupid stuff. Like every night I went home a, li- uh, a bit early because I was tired. I wish I'd just stayed out and danced and laughed and lived. Because nights like that won't come your way again. Even Geffen, I just wish I'd loved him more and kissed him more and held him more. We talked about having a baby. I just kept putting it off. And uh, at this stage, Sasha is a version of a zombie live, laugh, love. You could call it expositionary. But it's done so well and it's such nice words and so well performed, especially yeah. by Alexandra Roach, considering she's looking like that to get the emo- get the emotion out when you're basically looking like a dead person. Um, but it says as an obvious pathway for the way the rest of Nina and Annie's series goes. Obviously, this draws Annie more to Mitchell because she's like, well, you know, this I'm dead, but this is kind of my second chance. Why not go for it with Mitchell? And then Nina, obviously, gives a thing about the baby and wants to have the baby. So, you know, Sasha's prime purpose, I guess, is pushing Annie and Nina in those certain directions. Yeah, but like I say, it's kind of like a believable thing in that situation that she'd be sort of having the, these thoughts and yeah, trying to push them to live more. So like we know, because we know the situation with Nina at this point, that when she's talking about having a baby, as the audience, you know that that's kind of what it's telling you, but it's, you still can, like it's, it doesn't feel out of place. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Uh, she passes away, as in a proper dead, and Annie closes her eyes, and the door appears, and we get to see the real Sasha. And it must be said, this is the moment that started, uh, so far, lasting 12 years crush on Alexandra Roach. <laughs> she looks really pretty. <laughs> it's like, oh! <laughs> yeah. So she walks through the door and she says, live Annie. I suppose this is the more obvious part. Live Annie, seize the day, which again is exposition. But it's it's well played as a scene where it's got a deafness of touch in the performances that it's not clapping you around the head with with it. And it's better last words than fucking hell or whatever it (laughs) and it's nearly worth. So, yeah, Nina goes into George. Would you like to have a little hairy baby with me? And he says, yes, I would. Mitchell solemnly enters the house late at night and Annie asks if he's okay. 
He says, no, I'm not. Listen, I need to tell you something. I've done such things, Annie. I've done such terrible, unforgivable things, and I need to tell you. Annie shuts this down, and she blocks out reality, referring to concentrate on the positives. And I've, I, watching this, I kind of draw parallels with how Annie was with Hal in series four. There's That's a time exactly. when... Yeah, there's a what time I when wrote down. Hal approaches her to say, look, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And she just goes, no. Pop, pop, pop. You would think she'd have learned from the Mitchell experience, but maybe that's yeah. just made made her harden to it and she doesn't want to hear any more shit because she's been through so much. But Yeah, she makes exactly the same choices, doesn't she, again, and for better or worse. Yeah. Um, when he says, do you forgive me? I think that's really fucking lame from Mitchell because outwardly he's asking for forgiveness for, you know, the things that Annie kind of knows about in his past. But reality, he's asking forgiveness for the box on a massacre that he's only done about six weeks ago that Annie doesn't know about. Yeah. it's It's quite underhand I mean and he's saying like these things are in your past and yes you could say like technically Fox Tunnel was in his past but you've got to remember yeah. he's, he's, on this very day he's killed Graham <laughs> and he's probably thinking more like pre-2000 than yeah. six weeks ago yeah yeah I, I guess it's an interesting thing in terms of what other people's opinions are like where were you when you were first watching the series about Annie and Mitchell being a couple together? What was your thoughts on it at the time? I wasn't keen on it as a, an idea. And I think it, it's, it's a bit like, I kind of don't like it in shows anyway when they feel like they have to pair all their characters off yeah. together in relationships. And it's, it's had the same sort of feelings with Hal and Alex in series five. I think watching it, Again, now it sort of feels more, um, you know, like they built up to it. You can see that there was there was some evidence there, like you already mentioned in series one, when they have that little kind of accidental kiss, but neither of them, like you know, they both sort of like it. And there's a few other moments yeah. here and there where you can see some chemistry. Oh yeah, there's definitely chemistry. It's it's. But I, I always think, like, when I watch it, like, how much of it is a genuine relationship or how much of it do they feel like they're just being, you know, not knowingly, but forced together to be in that relationship. So it yeah. doesn't feel that perhaps that's part of why it doesn't feel like a relationship in the sense of Mitchell and Josie or Nina and George, because it feels like bad forces are forcing them together yeah and we also don't really get to see them really as a couple really no it's kind of a bit rushed as well as a you know as a relationship even though they've known each other for so long but it it kind of happens quite quickly over the space of a few episodes Verdict and where whereabouts do you reckon this lies in in the episodes? Kind of middling for you? Probably. I think it's it's high, but yeah, there's a few other things where it. I think 
series one particular, uh, sorry, series three in particular, there's some really strong episodes. So probably it does fall somewhere around yeah. the middle. I mean, I love the Sasha as a character. I love all the comedic stuff there. And the fact that Nina and George's storyline is moving forward. And, and I also love the fact that the box tunnel story is moving forward uh, via Graham. Yeah. The things that let it down, I think, are a bit... The, Graham's ending, I think, is the most lowest yeah. point of this episode, I think. And there's a bit like, he's kind of... One of his main purposes is to get this scrapbook in, which does become, you know, a key object really for the rest of the series yeah well that's it i didn't even mention that obviously like when they're having a little snog or whatever that the uh satchel drops open and we see that that uh notepad inside with all the newspaper cuttings that he's kept it and yeah that he's on this downward spiral really like when he decides to keep that and why do you think mitchell keeps it is it a morbid fascination? Is it... Because, you know, common sense, he knows what he did. He was there. He doesn't really need the newspaper cuttings. Yeah. Probably a bit both. Like, it's... There's, there, will, there will be a part of him, isn't there? Like, that still probably likes what he's done. Yeah. In... He's going to hang on to and that likes, and, and likes, you know, that vampiric part. Yeah, he likes the reaction and the, yeah, the fallout. Yeah. But then it's also a bit of a plot device, but, you know, yeah. it has to be. Yeah, but I do think it sticks true to, you know, how he was at the end of Series 2 to even the start of Series 3. Yeah. Well, in fact, it's exactly the same of, as in keeping the DVD yeah. in yeah. Series 1. That's true. Yeah, yeah, of course. Didn't even think of that, yeah. Yeah, and, and the fascination with the news at, at the end of series two, it's, you know, yeah. that's, it is that, you know, m- maybe he's still got that, that's when the bad side is winning and he's, that he, yes. when he's concentrating and hyper-focused on that stuff. Uh, I don't think I've really got any notes from the afterlife this time. Um, let's just say that's going to make up for the time I've wasted moaning about trains. Uh, if you want to find us on the interwibble, you can find us on Twitter at BoxTunnelPod, on Tumblr as BoxTunnelPod2, on Facebook and Instagram as the Box Tunnel Survivors Group. Yeah, I know. I just realised I just called it Twitter. I'm, I'm still going to call it Twitter. I haven't joined Fred's for the podcast yet because I just I'm not another platform. Not another one. Oh, that's terrible. Not another, not another one. See, I, I can usually do that all right, but now I'm recording it. it sounds bad. Uh, if you want to email me, you can email me at boxtunnelpod at gmail.com if you want to come on the show and talk about an episode. Uh, it's best to contact me there. I'll sign out as I sign in with Dog Scratched Ear by Henry's Funeral Shoe. I'm just off to finally have that pee. For real this time. That 
was the Box Tunnel Podcast. And thanks. Ah, refreshing water.